Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. So good morning, church. How are you doing? Doing well? Excited? Don't worry if you are excited, I'm going to do away with that. Are you excited? Uh, Good. Anyway. uh, So we're coming to like almost the end of the series on 1st Peter and 2nd Peter. We finished 1st Peter and now we're into 2nd Peter and David will bring uh, closure and conclusion to uh, all the teaching that uh, God has been laying on our hearts next Sunday. So uh, I would ask you to, cu- to stand up. I will just read with you the conclusion. Like if you ask Peter, Peter, why are you writing, you know, that second epistle to us? Uh, here are his words. They will come on the screen and uh, let's read them together. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the father fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water, but the word of God. Uh, Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. You may be seated. Amen. Peter is at the end of his life. Uh, He says that actually in in that epistle. And and then he decided to write another letter to the same people in Asia Minor, in the north of Asia Minor. And uh, and he is starting, uh, you know, to say this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you. That's chapter 1 from verse 12. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them, they already know them, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right still, as long as I am in this body, to stir you 
by a, to stir you up by a way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me, and I will make not just that effort, I will make every effort so that after my departure, after my death, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And then he talked about the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration and how that confirmed the prophetic word to him. But then he says, you need to know, that's verse uh, 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed because of what we've seen, to which, to which, you will do well to pay attention. It is as, a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star, that's Jesus, by the way, rises in your heart, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Interpretation is not the best, most probably, translation. Uh, a Magdi translation would be of release comes from their own release. They don't speak it from themselves. It's coming from God and they just speak it out. And for no prophecy, and here it's clear, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people in the old days, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth, that what was the people of God called, and Christianity was called the way of truth, not Christianity, okay? The way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You know what? Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. And I'll read with you verse 9 and 10, and that's it. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion despise and despise authority. Bold and willful in the original, it's, they're quite vocal and loud. Willful is stubborn, and they are stubborn about what they're saying. So they say rubbish stuff, but they are as well stubborn about it. Okay? They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones Actually, ones in, in the Greek is not there. It's, the word is doxa, means what is honored. So it can be about someone or it can be about the truth. What is praised, who is glorious or what is glorious. They don't tremble when, as they blaspheme the glorious or the glorious ones, the honored. Uh, Peter wrote his first letter and uh, in his first letter, if you were following, you will realize that, you know, suffering or trials or hardships are mentioned, like, all the time. And he's saying, well, yeah, yeah, I know. Life, life is unfair. 
once out of the Garden of Eden, life is unfair. If you're looking at fairness, look for the coming of Christ. Because when he will come, the new heaven and new earth, righteousness will dwell in it. We don't have righteousness now. We don't have godliness now. This is how it is. Jesus said, the world, uh, there is the, the prince of this world, okay? And the scripture tells us that the world is put in the evil one, all right? Don't expect things that are not real. They're not going to happen, right? So in the world, you are going to have hardships, Jesus say. But trust, trust, I overcame the world. Well, good on you, Jesus. You overcame the world. <laughs> I'm finding it really hard. And Peter is writing to us saying, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, but Jesus is yours. You were born again because of Jesus, because of his resurrection. That's uh, first epistle, okay? You have been bought by his precious blood. This is not something that would perish. You were given life by the living, abiding word. This is the word of God. It never goes away. All life is like a mist that would disappear, but life from God and the word of God will not go away. And you have Jesus as your leader and your example, and he suffered. And no servant is better than his master. No disciple is better than his mentor. So yes, you will suffer. But it is such an honor and such a gracious thing from God. If you suffer for his name, and when you're suffering, he is on your side to give you strength and to guide you. How to submit, which is something against our fabric. All of us. None of us here. Me first, by the way, like I'm ahead of you, like most probably 100 miles. None of us want to submit. When hardships come, we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to deal according to the flesh, even if we don't notice it's a flesh. You're an employee, your employer is not good enough. Oh, and, and she's saying, well, actually, you know, you still do well. What? No, where are my rights? Yeah, don't you feel that? Okay, you use what you have. You use your, you know, the, the money that you have, the things that you have. So he's telling wives, by the way, it's not about your beauty, your external beauty, and don't use it. That's not this. And it's not as well that you can nag. You can talk for everyone. So don't nag. Oh, guys. Don't use your power. Don't use your advantages. Might not right. Respect, love. You see, these are the things that are available to my flesh to use. Okay? I can cheat my employer when he's not good to me, and he won't know. Yeah? That's the flesh. I can cheat the government. All of that is First Peter. So he's talking, yeah, look, there are hardships, okay? But you focus on Jesus and you will live well and you will live victoriously. And when he comes back, that's the end of First Peter, in his glory, you will receive glory with him. Now, Jesus, 
went through his incarnation with all what happened to him, with all the pain, with all the humiliation, and then God glorified him. And to him, every power, every dominion, every authority, every principality is subjugated. And he's saying, focus on him. In the second epistle, he's saying, you need to remind yourself of that all the time. This is like the commandment in, in the Old Testament when he's talking about the word. And he's saying, oh, you need to, you know, uh, wrap it around your uh, arm. Wrap it around your forehead. Keep remembering it day and night. By when you're going out and when you're coming in. And when you're sitting with your children, tell, say it to, to them. And to the children of your children. And just stay in the word. He's doing the same thing. I want to remind you. I want to remind you. I want you to recall this. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember to keep growing in Jesus and to keep focusing on him. And the reason, Peter is saying, is because if you don't do that, I'm now going to change it a bit, yeah? You, are, you can be a false teacher to yourself and to your family and to the people around you. You see, when we hear about false teacher and scoffers, we're, we're from the 21st century, and you're thinking about people, you know, large churches and money, lots of money, they say, in different places. I've never got that, but anyway, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and they are teaching because of what they can get. No, no, no. This is first century. This is first generation church, kind of. These, they are small group of people, really tiny. Most of them are slaves. They don't have lots of money. But they are the people that we know. This is why they're staying with them. You're getting that. And, they, and he is saying they're coming in false teachers and secretly, that's because they are deceived, okay? They believe something that is not true. They are spreading destructive heresies. And he's even saying later on in that chapter two, he's saying by, they are going to be wronged by their wrongdoing. They are going to suffer by the destruction that they're doing. They're going to be destroyed. You see, it's very easy to read this chapter and to think about false teachers there. What about us? What about us? And in the main core of the, of the, of the epistle and, and chapter 2, he mentions three, three stories. And I'm going to focus with you on one of them, but let me tell you the stories very quickly. And the reason he's mentioning them, as he wrote, as we read together, he's mentioning that because you have to understand that Jesus is coming back again, and Jesus is the judge. And he is the one, according to the book of Revelation, who was found worthy to take the scroll and undo the seals. The whole history of existence, Jesus is the judge and he will bring it to an end. He will unfold that document and everything would be settled. All the wrongs will be done away with and then there is his kingdom that will come where righteousness dwells. So he's saying you really need to think about that. You know, you know when you have a boss who really watches over your shoulder, okay? You do things well, yeah? You might 
have in your heart, oh, look busy because the boss is looking. He's not saying that. No, 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 not look busy. No, no, do well. Do well, live for Christ because he is coming, coming. And those who won't live according to him and those who won't live with him will be destroyed. And you are my family. You are my brothers and sisters. You are the body of Christ. And I don't want to see you getting to that. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you again. And I'm going to ask you to remind yourself and stir yourself up and be sober-minded and think properly and keep those truths in front of you so that you would live well. So he mentions three stories, and the three stories are, uh, two of them at least are well known. So the story of Noah, okay, and the story of Lot, and then the story of Balaam. Balaam, we will dwell a bit on, on that story, but the story of Lot and the story of Noah that are more known, you know that's the flood. Again, you see in it judgment, and he wanted to say that there is judgment, okay? So judgment, and that was because of greed, lust. When he's saying greed, that's lust, that's desire, that's covetousness, the same word, okay? And covetousness leads you to idolatry, okay? Look at that. From the very beginning, the woman looked at the fruit, okay, as if she never saw a fruit before, or she never saw that fruit, that, that he was there all the time, okay? And all of a sudden, ah, oh, Oh, it's so yummy. And it's going to make me so amazing. Don't you think about that? Don't you sometimes think about that? And you amplify what's going to happen. If, if I have a relationship with that person, I'm going to be so happy. If I take that drug, I'm going to be so happy. If I have money, I'm going to be I'm going to have authority. They will then regard me with honor if I have that power, yeah? That's lust. And lust destroys. So he's saying, oh, there were uh, some supernatural beings. They're called the, son of, the sons of God, okay? And they lusted after the daughters of men. Okay, not just them, as well when people, because that produced who, who are called the Geburim, the people of renown, people like really amazing. So everyone as well, I mean us, you, who, who do you want your offspring to be? Oh, I can have Geburim, all right? So lust and sex not according to God's will. Licentiousness. I allow myself things that I'm not allowed. I, 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 I go into relationships that I shouldn't do. Same for Lot. Lot, you have his own lust for that nice area, well-watered. I'm going to have, you know, better business and comfortable life, luxury. You know, so Sodom and Gomorrah was, as in comparison to where Abraham lived, that's like New York, and this is, I don't know, uh, Sudan. Okay, I'm not belittling Sudan or anything, okay? All right, but so where would he choose to live? Will you choose Sudan? Okay, so he went to New York. You know, 
Maybe, uh, maybe someone here needs to hear this. Lot uh, stayed righteous. He protected himself. And maybe someone here, you're in a relationship, and you think, I'm protecting myself. I'm staying faithful to God. But you know the relationship that you're in, not just that the, that the relationship might be or is wrong, but the relationship will affect you. Lot lost his wife and his daughters. Don't keep yourself when it's where that place is not godly. Don't, don't be proud and feel, well, but I am in control and I'm doing things well. Honestly, it won't help you later on. Wake up. Get out of that place. Now, the third story, which we'll uh, focus on. It's a story that you would find in Numbers 22 to 24, and then there is a, a minor mentioning uh, of it in Numbers 31 of that person, and then later on as well in, uh, in uh, Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation. Uh, and, and there are other places as well in the Psalms and so on, but anyway. So, and the story is this, you get that character, and the character's name is Balaam. And Balaam is a prophet. You might think that he is, uh, you know, a voodoo doctor or whatever. That's not really what the Bible says. Remember, it's, it's uh, Moses who's writing that. And he's talking about the God who appears to him as God. He is talking about him as Yehovah. Yahweh. Okay. And he is talking about the angel of the Lord. Like if you think, no, that was just a word. He's talking about that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Right? So he's talking about big, big stuff. And this guy is such an amazing prophet. And, uh, and the king of Moab sent people to him because he knows, look how amazing that guy is, that whoever he blesses will be blessed. And whoever he curses will be cursed. Ooh. Okay? So they go to him. They say, oh, there is those people who camped in front of us in the valley. And they are numerous. We want to kill them. So would you come and curse them? Okay? So I can't do anything out of myself. You know, whatever God would tell me, I'll do. So I'll tell you what. Uh, you know. Rest tonight, sleep, and I'll let you know in the morning. Great stuff, yeah? Great. I mean, he did well. And uh, he wakes up in the morning. God has visited him. How amazing that is. God is the one who came to him in the night. And God asked him, who are they? He said, oh, they are so-and-so, and they want da-da-da-da. Okay? I said, hmm, Okay. You don't go and you don't curse because they are blessed. Take a moment here. Do you think that was emphatic enough? Like, uh, I don't know, mate. I think you don't go. Like, maybe, maybe you should. Okay, because I, you know, I think they're blessed. I really think they're blessed. So I'm uh, not sure, you know, you, you would curse them. It might go wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> he 
It wasn't wishy-washy. You don't go and you don't curse, for they are blessed. He wakes up, says that. I can't do anything, guys. Thank you. Buzz off. Brilliant. <laughs> All right? They go to the king. The king says, oh, no, no, no. No, go back to him. So they were offering him gold and stuff. Go back to him. Saying, he's saying this. The king is saying this. Don't let God keep you from the blessing. For I will honor you. And that was Balaam's weak spot. <laughs> I wonder how many of us crave status, respect. And, uh, and he said, well, I can't do anything out of my own track. Can I actually do anything without the Lord telling me? Great. Great lip service. And he said, well, sleep again. Uh, you know, spend the night and uh, I will tell you in the morning. Why? Why, Balaam? Didn't God already tell you? Hasn't God told you? You don't go. And you don't curse. And you start seeing something, yeah? And then God appears to him says, what's going on? He says, well, you know, like they came again, and I wasn't sure if you really wanted me not to go or to go. But, you know, she's kind of cute. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, so I didn't mean, you know, I don't want to do the whole thing. Just want to go and have a bit of fun, you know? God tells Balaam, okay, all right, mate, you go. You go with them, but don't you dare say anything apart from what I will say to you. Balaam runs in the morning. His fastest ride was a donkey, and he got on the donkey. All right. You can see how, how not so prosperous Balaam was. Just a donkey, you know, no camels, no, not a horse or anything. And then uh, the angel of the Lord stands against him. Now, the writer of that story is Moses. The angel of the Lord stands against him to kill him. Who had that experience? Moses. So... He's writing that, and there is a bit of a chess game here, and uh, the angel of the road appears, and the prophet, the seer, the one who has open eyes, he talks about himself later on as that, can't see the angel of the Lord. But the donkey, <laughs> someone like me, I really wish I'm just a donkey, that would be great. At least I wouldn't do the mistakes of Balaam, but anyway. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord and sees the, the, the sword drawn out. And thinks, uh-oh. So, goes to, leaves the road, goes into the fields. There are vineyards and so on. And, and, and Balaam, you know, like, is really enraged. So, and he strikes the donkey. And then, so he makes that move. 
Uh, so the angel of the Lord makes the other move. You see the chess? Okay. And the donkey says, oh, uh, oh, uh, I can break through that wall. So he goes through the wall. He crushes uh, Balaam's foot. And Balaam hits him again, second time. And then uh, the angel of the Lord say, okay. So he goes into a path where you cannot go right and left. You know, sometimes God corners you where you can't go right and left. And he doesn't do that because he is just angry with you. No, it's because he wants to save you from yourself. Because here's the thing. If the angel of the Lord wanted to kill Balaam, he wouldn't even appear. Balaam died. <laughs> walk in the morning, walk up in the morning, Balaam died. Yeah? Didn't. Do you see God's mercy? Do you see his faithfulness? Even though we're unfaithful. So the donkey thinks better than all of us. And he says, there is no way out of this. And lies down. So Balaam flew in rage. And da, 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 da. You know, he's banging over the donkey and... And then he's saying, the donkey, God opened his mouth and he's saying to him, why are you hitting me? <laughs> okay. I know you might find that very difficult and especially scoffers and skeptics. Okay. But you know what? The, the, the tomb of Balaam was found in 1967. And the, the tablet which says, oh, these are the writings of Balaam, son of Beor, okay, were translated 1976. Anyway, <laughs> so Balaam speaks to the donkey. So I'm a psychiatrist. If you speak to a donkey, I'm going to give you tablets. <laughs> All right? He speaks back to the donkey. Anyway, he spoke back to the donkey and said, no, no, you, you never did that before, like you were good. No, he, before that, he said, he answered the question, why are you hitting me? Because you didn't honor me. That is what he craves. You, you, you made me look really bad. Those guys are following us. I can't control you. A prophet can't control you. You put my face in the dirt. And then the donkey speaks some more wisdom to him. And, and then God opens the eyes of Balaam. And he tells him, I was going to kill you and keep the donkey alive. Because why are you doing this? And he said, oh, uh, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, my bad, I'm sorry. Kind of he repents, yeah? And then God says, okay, go, but don't say anything that I... You see, his heart was, maybe I can fudge it a bit. Maybe I can twist what God is saying. Maybe I can make it fit. So he goes... Amazing feast, and then he gets to work the following morning. And look at this. 
he makes seven sacrifices three times. He moves him from one place to the other. He makes seven sacrifices. Okay, he's trying to really, you know, smooch God. Like maybe this time you will have a different thing. Every time God speaks a blessing over Israel. And he can't say about the blessing. Balak, who is the king of Moab, you know, so upset and says, well, what are you doing? You should leave and so on. Tell them, okay, I'll leave. Let me tell you a few things before I leave and they have to do with the end of times. So that prophet was an eschatological prophet, a prophet who knew about the end of times. He prophesied about Jesus. He prophesied about the end of Moab. He prophesied about like the future, what will happen between them and the Israelites and three other places. How amazing is that prophet? And he left. A few chapters later, he's killed. He's killed with the king of Midian. He's not from that area. Why is he there? And Moses writes to us that. It's because of his counsel to the Midianites and the Moabites that Israel were judged in that place. See, uh, it seems that Balaam was really wanting that honor and place. And so he came back most probably afterwards and he said, well, the thing is, you cannot really win against Israel with a curse. That's not going to, or through war. Now, uh, you will be defeated badly, but if you seduce their men with your lovely ladies, if you do that, they will come, they will have relationships with them, they will eat with you, they will worship with you because of the lovely ladies. Because they will desire them. Seduce them, they would desire them. Then they would do that, so they will break loyalty. They will be into idolatry. Into idolatry. And then they will be defeated. You wouldn't need to do anything. They would be defeated. And this is what happened. And because of that, there was a plague on the people of Israel. And 24,000 people died. What do we learn from this? Number one, God is sovereign. I don't know if you always keep that before your mind or not, but God is sovereign. He is the creator of all what you can see and what you cannot see. He is the ruler of everything. And he is the judge. And he judges justly. He is a righteous God, always a righteous God, and everything that he does is in righteousness. And you cannot get around that. And yet, he is so merciful. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll be kind to whom I'll be kind. But I will never make what is wrong just right. That's when he was revealing his name to Moses. God is sovereign. And even a prophet who has that amazing authority cannot do anything to you. Nothing to you. 
okay? There would be no curse coming on your life if you are with God. Not because you deserve it, but because he is faithful. God is sovereign and God is merciful. You know, in that scene, as Balaam is on the mountain looking at cursing them, they are sinning. They are rebelling down in the camp. And God was faithful, though we were and we are unfaithful. The other thing is this. God extends grace, extends grace, extends grace, extends grace, extends grace, extends grace, extends grace. And then again, extends grace and grace and grace and grace. But there is a moment where God will draw the line. On the whole universe, his coming is like a thief in the night. But as well, individually, the thing is you don't know when that line is drawn. So don't wait. Don't tarry. Wake up. Grow up, as we heard in the beginning of those years. Live right. I know it's difficult, but you have grace. You have the Holy Spirit to shape you, to form you, to help you to live like he is. You see, God was so gracious towards Balaam once, twice, thrice, three times, seven times. God was so merciful and gracious towards Israel. God was so merciful and gracious towards Balak, the king of Moab. Like if I get to know, oh, those people are like blessed, I wouldn't want to fight them. Like, don't be stupid, okay? <laughs> Turn around, go to them and say, hey guys, you're my brothers. I would want to welcome you here. Don't get stuck in your pride. Change your ways. Change your views. Change your thoughts. God was gracious to all of them, even to the other kings who were part of that. And they didn't listen. And they died. And Peter is saying, if you don't listen and you twist the word of God and you blaspheme though you are ignorant about the things that you don't understand, when you read things about Peter and Peter is writing the right things, you are twisting what Peter is saying because you don't like it and you're ignorant. And this is what you do about scripture as well. Don't do that. Don't do that. Humble yourselves. Ask God to show you. Wait. Wait. See, Peter understood Balaam very well because he, he lived with Jesus and he heard his teaching. And uh, Peter had a revelation. He had a revelation from the Lord himself, from the Father. Jesus attested to that and said, spot on, mate, that's from the Father. That's by the Holy Spirit. What is that? That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah? And then when Jesus spoke, okay, so as that, where you had the revelation, so uh, I'm going to suffer and die. No, no, you got it wrong. You, don't, you didn't understand the revelation. Let me first explain to you the prophecy. You can 
have revelations and we're still stuck in our flesh. We see a better way, Lord. We see a better way. We can manipulate it like this. We can go around it like that. Oh, but that doesn't work here on earth. So you have to do it in that way around. And you know, Jesus in his mercy, they were upset for about six days or seven days. Jesus took them to a mountain and showed him and John and James his glory. And they heard the voice of the Father. You would read about that in the last paragraph of chapter one. Okay? And now they know. They still don't understand, but they know. He saw his graciousness. But as well, Peter heard Jesus' teaching. And as he's looking at Balaam, and he's an example so that we would take that and learn from it. He, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. Greed or covetousness or des your desire, your lust, gives your love and you know, commitment to someone else or something else. And you cannot worship anyone with God. God is God alone. You cannot serve to masters, but you know, even worse teaching that he heard from Jesus and really applies to Balaam. Jesus said, not all of you would come at the end of time and call me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. I will actually declare to you that I don't know you. If you go back over 1 Peter and 2 Peter, it's all about knowledge of Jesus. Know Jesus, know Jesus. When the sun is shining, know Jesus. When it is dark and gloomy, know Jesus. When you are hard-pressed, know Jesus. When you are suffering unrighteousness, know Jesus. When you are struggling, know Jesus. When you are going through anything, know Jesus. When you're serving people, know Jesus. And keep your eye on Jesus. You will get grace and peace multiplied to you through the knowledge of Christ. You will get his divine power that will give you all things for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. And Jesus even though Balaam was an amazing prophet, might be telling him, I didn't know you. He's talking here about knowledge that is very intimate, like the knowledge between a man and his wife. I didn't know you. I don't know you. You didn't stick to me. You left me. You left me. We don't know each other. We haven't lived together. It was a one night stand or few nights stand. No. no he's, this is why Peter is saying you stick to Jesus all the time. All the time. All the time. I know it's hard. I know it's hard and I know a lot of times it doesn't make sense because there are things that are confusing and life is unfair. But stick to Jesus. Submit. Humble yourself, ask of him, and he would give you grace. Don't twist his word. Don't try and make it something else. And you will get there. And that's, that's Peter. I think we need to really accept this humility. And ask ourselves... 
not just as individuals, but as a house that really wants to be built on the cornerstone. Do you want to keep focusing on Jesus and Jesus alone? Do you want to stick to his commandments and abide in his word? Peter is telling us, this is the way to live. Not just yesterday, not just today. Every, every day. In every single circumstance. In every situation. Whatever you are facing, this is the way to live. And we need to accept that. Would you stand up with me? Alan, would you come? Before, uh, as Alan went to the church this morning, he felt he had a word from the Lord and I want him to share it with us. starts leaving Jesus because it's too hard and Jesus turns to Peter the one who wrote the letters we've been talking about today he said are you going to leave and Peter said Lord to whom would we go you have the words that give eternal life we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And I think God just wants, he wants to say to you, 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 can't, you can't get away from God. He's the only one, he is the only one. And it, you, you, you act, he won't give up on you. Yes. David wrote in, in, in Psalms, he said, that, you know, even, even in dark, even the darkness, I, I, I can't hide from you. So don't give up, press in. What did Magdy say? Stick to Jesus. Stick to Jesus. He's the only one, the only one with the words of eternal life. You know, guys, uh, Peter was upset about suffering and the cross and, and how Jesus wants to make salvation. And actually all the disciples were like that and, and they stayed for about a week like that. It's okay if you don't understand, don't know where God is. You don't see him. You don't understand his ways. You're in good company or a bad company, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I've been through that. I go through that. But here is what I learned, like Peter. You stick to Jesus. And though we don't deserve, and even when we didn't ask, he, there would come a time as he wrote about, you, you stick to the word and then the daybreak the morning star would rise in your heart. You know, came a day and he took them on the mountain and they saw the most glorious, beautiful scene ever. And he's writing here and the prophetic word was even more confirmed and made sure for us. 
stick to Jesus and there will come the time where you will know that you know that you know that you know that he is with you and he will never let go and that he is faithful and that he is good and that he is for you and his mercy endures forever. And he will save you even from your own stubbornness, even from your own wrong thinking. He did that to me many times, many times. Let's stick to Jesus. He's faithful. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in person and online.